Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will take a look at where Air France is planning to fly its shiny new A220s, while I report back on what's been a very big week for Indian aviation. I'll see what the UK's red list looks like now, while Joe reflects on a dismal sales result for Airbus in September. Finally, Tom will take a look at Tim Clark's latest 777X comments. So now you know what's in store, I want to get on with the show. And I really wanted to start by talking about the A220 this week because I feel like I don't give it enough love and it's definitely a plane that deserves love. It sure does. (laughs) Well, the sort of interesting thing I found this week was that Air France had released its initial schedule for the A220. And it's quite exciting because on the 31st of October, they're celebrating Halloween with their first A220 flights. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure if they're doing that, but it sounds fun. Um, It looks like they're going to have two aircraft by the time that uh, flights start. And they chose October the 31st because that's when the IATA winter schedule kicks Mm. in. So um, it's usually a good day to switch over to new planes and whatnot. It's common for airlines. So I've kind of deduced that they're going to have at least two A220s by the time they start flights because... They simply don't have enough aircraft um, to do the schedule that they've planned if they've only got one because the flights would overlap. So there's two aircraft. Um, One is going to go from Paris to Berlin to Paris to Venice to Paris on the first day. And the other one is going to go Paris, Milan, Linate, Paris, Madrid, Paris. Mm. So the first one leaves Paris at about 10 o'clock and gets back at 8 o'clock in the evening. And the second one leaves around 12.15 for its first leg and gets back around uh, 10.20. So interesting times. Um, It's quite fun because it looks like they're just launching four routes in October. And that is technically correct because the fifth route will launch a day later on November 1st. So it's technically a November route launch, but it's still (laughs) part of the um, initial flights. That will see the airline beginning flights to Barcelona and it's just going to keep adding routes after that. So by the end of the month, it's planning um, 16 daily flights with the A220, which isn't wow. insignificant. Mm. Um, in December on the 6th, they're going to add flights to Bologna in Italy and Lisbon in Portugal. And then on January 3rd, they're going to add flights to Copenhagen and Rome. And by um, in, the, during January next year, they have 924 flights scheduled as it currently stands. Cool. which is about a third the number of A380 flights that are scheduled for December. So <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not insignificant there. Um, you had to mention the A380 though, didn't you? I did, I did. I have to. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite fun. I've made a, a fun little colour-coded map on the uh, website that took ages to do. So if you're interested, do have a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on on this uh, tiny little airplane is the Korean Air is apparently the best operator of the aircraft, as we discovered last week. And I saw um, that and I thought, what makes it the best? Like they yeah. fly it the most or they've got the nicest well, cabin or they're just kind to it? I don't really understand. Well, when you said this to me, I took that as a challenge to discover what makes it the best. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I wrote an article and they basically won what Airbus calls the Best Operational Excellence Award. And they apparently issue this um, every other year for each of their 
their aircraft families. But obviously, the A220 is fairly young in the Airbus fleet. It used to be a Bombardier product. Um, so it's the first time that they've awarded this for the A220. And I did some digging to find out what it's all about. So basically... Um, Airbus is look, constantly looking all, across all its aircraft at um, a range of factors from flight duration to number of flights operated, how punctual they are, all of this stuff. So for the A220, Airbus looked at airlines from August 2020 to July 21. And during this period, Korean Air's A220 fleet clocked an on-time performance of 99.63%. So Ooh, that's, pretty that's good. a measure of how many flights departed within 15 minutes of their scheduled time. Um, so that would mean that for every 1,000 flights, only 3.7 were delayed. So then I went back to our friends over at Sirium and found out actually how many flights had Korean Air scheduled for this time period. Um, so they'd scheduled 16,520 flights for those 12 months, which means roughly 61 flights were delayed by 15 minutes or more over that's, an entire year. Well, that's pretty good. It is. It's quite good. Although I'm kind of wondering because... They say they look at the number of flights operated. Um, it's a bit of an interesting one, this, because the airline actually only serves six airports with this um, fleet. It's a really tight-knit network. Um, and it looks like they're not really using the aircraft at all because I just took two... Ra they've got 10 um, A220s, and I just took two at random. So the first one is its youngest aircraft, um, which first flew on January 21st, 2019. So since then, the plane has clocked up 2,782 hours across mm. 3,599 flights, which sounds impressive on the face of it because... It's a big number, but when you break it down into the maths, it shows that the average flight length was just 46 minutes. And actually, on average, the plane has only been used for three hours and seven minutes each day. All right. Which is not, not a lot, is it? Not a lot. No, you could get no. more out of an A220, really. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they're just flying it, flying it back, and then it's done for the day, you know? <laughs> um, and <laughs> even the oldest aircraft. Not into high utilisation, then. Yeah, well, I looked at not the oldest aircraft, actually, but the most used A220 in the fleet, which is 3.92 years old. That one has racked up 5,369 hours across 6,965 flights. So for that aircraft, on average, it's been used a little bit more because it's um, four hours and two minutes each day. But again, the average flight length was just 46 minutes. Mm. So short flights yeah i found that quite interesting though and fun um yeah and i hope i haven't really bored anyone <laughs> very, very nerdy tom <laughs> <laughs> well you know me i love my data yeah you do you love some numbers to crunch don't mm. you <laughs> i do especially when it comes up with fun statistics like they're not using this plane really at all and it's still the most utilized or best yeah, utilized the best operated. very yeah. arbitrary award i think but congratulations mm. korean air nonetheless yeah. Congratulations. So, uh, so I just wanted to feed back on really what's been a rather important and big week for Indian aviation. Um, so the first thing to mention, of course, is the Air India sale. Now, we did speak about oh, this yes. last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it because we kind of went through quite a lot last week. But as expected, Tata Sons were announced as the winners of Air India. Um, to mm. put some colour on that, they won with a bid 
um, for $2.39 billion, um, around $2 billion of that, of that is debt that they're taking on from the airline. So they paid around $360 million in cash to the government. AJ Singh, who is um, was the other bidder that was in the running, had bid $2 billion. Um, so they gazumped him, sadly. But both of those offers were well above the government's reserve price of $1.71 billion. Um, mm. However, as you might expect, there are some strings attached to Tata's winning bid. Um, for example, the company is not allowed to fire any employees for at least a year. And then mm. in year two, they're only allowed to indulge in voluntary retirements. So this kind of big clear out and rejigging of staff is not going to take place anytime soon. Um, nonetheless, official transfer of ownership will take place in December. Um, so, I, I mean, this is going to give Tata a massive stronghold in Indian aviation, particularly hmm. on the long haul side. Um, and there I mean, is talk. Are there, not, are there not any issues with like competition there or... I guess not. I think they were just glad to get rid of the airline, <laughs> to be <laughs> Somebody honest. Somebody take it. Yes, they've been trying for many years to find a, a willing buyer. Mm. So, um, you know, I think it's it's going to be a good thing for Air India. They, they're finally going to get a company that's willing to invest, that's going to refine it. You know, a company with lots of aviation expertise as well that is running it as a commercial enterprise, not as a state-owned kind of cash cow. Um, mm. So it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it integrates with the rest of Tata's flying businesses and, and what comes out of the end of it, because they're talking about merging everything into one big kind of behemoth carrier, which will mm. be interesting. But uh, we shall wait and see. Um, however, this isn't the only interesting thing going on in India this week, um, because this week has seen the full removal of capacity caps for Indian airlines. Now, okay. um, these have been in place since May 2020. Um, and, you know, at one point they were as low as 30%. So, no matter what airlines were trying to do, they were only allowed to fly this percent of their 2019 or pre-COVID capacity. Mm. Um, it has been being raised and at the moment it's sitting at 85%. Um, so they're almost back to full flying. But from October the 18th, 100% is going to be reinstated. So all of India's airlines can get back to doing their full flying schedule mm. as was before covid um, which is it means it's a good job that both Mumbai and Delhi have announced the opening of all their terminals again. Um, so Delhi's Terminal 1 has been closed for 19 months, um, but will be opening again on October the 31st. And Mumbai's T1 is also opening again on October the 20th. Um, so all of this is great news for Indian Airlines and particularly for India's newest startup, I can imagine. Um, we I don't think we've mentioned Acasa Air very much on the podcast before, but... Uh, nope. This is an airline that kind of surfaced earlier this year, um, being launched by former Jet Airways CEO Vinay Doob. Um, and so he kind of went off and looked for investors to help him launch this new carrier. And he secured so, some really high profile support from a guy called Rakesh Janjawala, who is a bit of a legendary investor um, and apparently has a nose for great businesses. So hmm. it, it was a really good PR move to get him on board. Um, there have been rumours of a large max order, which would be unusual for an Indian airline, as we know most of India's low costs tend to rely on the A320 family. Mm. Um, but of course, before any of that can happen, they need their air, air operator certificate. Um, and the first step in India to getting that is to get a no objection certificate or knock. Um, I've never heard of this, but apparently it's uh, basically the government saying, yes, you can apply for an AOC. So it's like mm. a, the first step on the road anyway. And it did do that this week. Um, so it received the government's approval on October 11th. Um, 
So now it can go ahead and order um, or apply for its air operator certificate. That's a process that usually takes place for around six months, usually takes up to six months to happen. Um, mm. And they've said that they want to launch operations in the summer of 2022. So, you know, if everything goes smoothly, that should be just about bang on schedule and we could have a, a brand new airline in India. To compete with the new mega airline. <laughs> <laughs> the new mega, mega airline. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about another significant change this week, and that is that the UK has basically really jiggled, is the word I'm going to use there, its, <laughs> um, its red list, because this has been the thing, you know, it started just a couple of countries. And um, basically, the country has been adding a lot more countries to the red list than it's been taking off all the way through the pandemic. Um, you know, there's been some big names on there for since it, it it basically existed, like South Africa, you know, that was mm. on there pretty much right away. And for most the most part of 2021 now, it's been incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to travel direct from South Africa to um, the UK. I mean, you couldn't travel direct. You've got to go via another country and um, mm. only as a British citizen then. But basically... 87% of the red list is now becoming, it's not green or amber because they got rid of green and amber and it's just rest of the world now. Um, so it's it's quite interesting because I put, there's only seven countries left on the red list now. So it's Colombia, the Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Haiti, Panama, Peru and Venezuela. And I put them all on a map and it's just all this little cluster around where South America meets North America. Um I'm not entirely sure why these specific countries are on the red list. It's probably to do with variants and incidence numbers. Um, vaccination rates, maybe. Perhaps, yeah. But it's just, it is great to see that it seems like we're finally getting to the end of the tunnel with the UK because it, the UK has always been dragging their feet in terms of making travel accessible. Mm. You know, we've had the PCR tests, this, that, the other, and you still have the PCR test at the moment, but um, Grant Shapps, our favourite transport minister, suggested <laughs> that a new system will see passengers just taking a photo of a negative antigen test by the, um, the um, not the Easter holidays, the, the half-term holidays. Um, mm. So you would probably be better to tell me when they are, then I can say. Around Halloween. <laughs> I think the, the last okay. day, or certainly where I'm from, the last day is um, Halloween. So it was okay. usually either that week or the week after, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, end of around October, Hall beginning by the of end November. Of the, by the end of the month, hopefully we will scrap PCR tests. Fingers um, crossed. I mean, it's great news for airlines because they're basically unrestricted in where they're flying now. You know, Mexico can come back, South America, um, South Africa can come back, Brazil can come back, all of these really big, um, big destinations. It's not good, though, for the quarantine hotel operators because <laughs> they've got their government contracts and, um, you know... Nobody's going in them anymore. No one's going to go in them anymore because there's only seven countries and I don't see a huge demand from any of these seven countries really so um i guess a lot of the quarantine hotels are going to have to go back to being normal hotels and lose out on um that little bit of money um mm. but you know i'm on the side of the um the, the airlines 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what you were going to say then. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Um, but we got there in the end. So <laughs> that's all that matters. Amazing. No, I'm really pleased to see the end of the PCR test. I know we've uh, we've moaned about it enough on the podcast. Yeah. And, uh, and I've it, done enough of them to not want to do any more. <laughs> exactly. It's just a ridiculously expensive, unnecessary process when uh, your lateral flow can tell you everything you need to know, really. But uh, hopefully this is the sign of a new update mm. to uh, to travel in the UK fingers crossed well yeah I want to hop across the channel from the UK to um, the headquarters of Airbus um, because the plane maker has revealed its order and delivery outcomes for the month of September mm. now the the plane makers actually struggled to make any new orders in fact it just secured an order for one aircraft one single solitary aircraft um, and this is quite a dip compared to its August performance um, I don't know if you remember back in August it booked orders for 102 aircraft and that was mm. actually its best month for sales since the start of the crisis but yeah. it's not its worst month because there have been months since March 2020 when it's booked zero orders so at least it got one I think one. there was even perhaps one with negative orders wasn't there um, I think there might have been once you take into account the cancellations yeah but i kind of i think of it though you say like like you say there was so many orders last month but it's it's like deliveries you know there's always a big rush of deliveries right before the end of the year so mm. um i think it would probably level out over time but i should think still. so i mean it was disappointing not to see the uh, proposed ITER order on there because ITER is is supposed to be placing a big order with airbus mm. but it hasn't been counted this month so it looks like it's not actually sort of signed and sealed um perhaps yeah. that will come through in october we will have to see um, but mm. I was quite interested to see what plane it was that Airbus had sold, um, because the only plane it sold was an A319neo, which is perhaps its least well-selling plane of all time. Um, yeah. It's it's the first A319neo order of 2021, and only the 70th ever ordered, um, mm. and a lot of those are kind of iffy anyway. Um, so yeah, far, I feel like it's just spirit and... Unnamed customers, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, there's. Um, I think Spirit's got orders in for about 31. Mm. And there's a couple going to Air Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire? Oh, yeah. You say yep. it, Tom. You're better at um, pronunciation yeah, than me. Yeah, no. Okay, fine. Um, and there are 30 that are booked as sold, but they haven't disclosed who they're for. Um, so, mm. But there's quite a lot that have gone the same way as this one's going um, to become an Airbus corporate jet. So this has been sold to a private buyer, Mm. Um, and in fact, all three A319neos that have ever been delivered are all of the corporate private jet iteration. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a pretty niche aircraft. It's It's got the similar capacity to the A220-300. And of course, mm. the Airbus A220 is a lot cheaper and it's more yeah. efficient to run. Um, so as a commercial plane, it's not the best. Um, but as a private jet, it's superb. Uh, it can have additional fuel tanks that can take its range up to an amazing 12,500 kilometres or 7,700 mm. miles. And of course, with the wide, proper narrowbody cabin as opposed to a regional cabin, it's plenty of space for um, lots of luxurious designs as we quite often cover on Simple Flying. So mm. we may well see them. You know, Spirit is still committed to its uh, its order as far as we know. We may well see it for commercial airlines. Um, I, I mean, don't often fly in... Air Cote d'Ivoire, but I, I might have to if they get a A319neo. <laughs> well, I mean, an interesting point there because... I know you said there's, um, I think, 35 undisclosed orders or something. Um, we did actually see in August that China Southern um, 
was, or an, a couple of A319s in China Southern livery were undergoing testing from Hamburg. So um, yeah. they could perhaps be behind some of this undisclosed order. Quite um, possibly, but yeah. You would have thought at this point when, like, we know there's planes existing in China Southern livery. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell us that you bought it. Yeah. It's not a big secret. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It really is odd how some airlines like to keep everything all hush-hush until the last yeah. minute. And you, you just don't don't know why, really. But uh, mm. anyway, aside of the ACJ-311, whatever it was, 319neo, which is a really cool aircraft. I'd love to have a go on the corporate jet. Um, <laughs> Airbus did do all right in terms of deliveries. Um, so in total, it delivered 40 aircraft to 25 different customers across September. And predictably, most of these were narrow-body aircraft with 34 delivered. So um, mm. in total, it got rid of four A22300s, um, two of went, which went to our very favourite all A220 operator, Air Baltic. <gasps> um, Air France, as we know, re- received its very first A220 and Air Tanzania mm. took one. Um, we actually ran a story saying they took two. So I'm wondering if one was officially in September and one was officially in October because they were both Quite they both actually arrived in Tanzania at the same time. So <laughs> I guess mm. one of them is going to be I guess it's to do when month. it was... Um, transferred on paper yeah Yeah, I think that's absolutely right Um, and of course the 320 family did very well 30 aircraft were delivered mostly A320 Neos Um, Mm. and there was one um, sorry there were 20 A320 Neos that left nine A321 Neos got delivered including for American Airlines SAS Wizz Air and Anna and weirdly one A321 CO also left the factory and that's gone off to Delta Um, I didn't know anybody was still ordering the COs but there you go (laughs) Um, I I guess it's um, the same aircraft that some people are already operating and it's maybe a bit cheaper who knows I'm sure it's quite a bit cheaper Um, so it was good to see that there were actually six wide bodies delivered this month Um, there were Mm. four A330s three of those were the 900 Neos Um, two went to Lion Air and one went to Air Belgium which is their first A330 900 Neo Mm. Uh, looking very smart in Air Belgium colours I have to say I I love that Mm. livery um, there was an A330CO, which was for Airbus Defence and Space. I'm presuming that's going off to be an MRTT or something. Yeah. Um, and then there were also two A350-900s, and both of those went to Japan Airlines. So still loving their A350s over there in uh, Tokyo. Super. Um, so, so, yeah, overall, I think the delivery figures are pretty healthy, but they are below mm. where Airbus wanted to see them. Um, they mm. want their output of A320s, for example, to be around 40 a month. So really, they needed another 10 to go out the door. Um, and really, that means it's got a little bit of ground to make up in this respect before the end of the year. I, I had a look and their target for deliveries um, means they need to deliver an additional 176 aircraft before the end of the year. So that's an average of 58 or 59 a month through the final quarter, mm. which is quite a lot. But, you know, the backlog's there and they've got their processes up and running again. So as long as airlines are willing to take them, and, yeah. you know, with the with travel restrictions calming down, maybe they will be more keen to take mm. them. And best wishes to Airbus. I hope they do. Well, one bo- um, one wide body that hasn't been delivered yet, <laughs> nice segue, <laughs> um, <laughs> is the Boeing 777X. And there were a couple of interesting comments from Tim Clark, who is the chairman of Emirates. And we know he's he's been very colourful in his words about the 777X, like uh, Al Baker has been very colourful in his words about the A380. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's still saying that he's got no um, sort of, it, it, no 
visibility as to when he's going to get his first aircraft um he was meant to get the first one in june last year and um i mean he even speaking to us earlier this year he said possibly even 2025 for his first aircraft um but he's actually gone one step further now and he was chatting to reuters over in boston last week and he questioned whether boeing will ever ever even get around to making the smaller dash eight um I hope they do. And uh, Boeing told us that Emirates is a valued customer and they uh, welcome the airline's continued engagement on the 777X development. Um, I just want to see the plane flying. I just want to fly on the plane. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) but it is interesting because um, when you interviewed, um, oh no, sorry, when we interviewed um, him earlier this year as part of our first Future Flying webinar, um, he was sort of very critical on the 777X program. Yeah, he wasn't happy at all. And, uh, you know, I think it's the same thing he keeps coming back to. He keeps saying he's got no visibility. Yeah. And to me, that means a breakdown in communication. You know, we, we should be having regular updates from the Boeing team and um, lots mm. of information to keep him feeling confident about the delivery schedule. And obviously, he's yeah. not getting it or he feels he's not getting it. Um, mm. So, you know, it seems like an easy problem for Boeing to fix. Um, but nevertheless, if uh, if you enjoy hearing from airline CEOs, this is my segue <laughs> um, to follow on from our Future Flying Forum webinars. Um, we are running a two day event in November on the 10th and 11th, um, which will have lots of airline CEOs. It will have panel discussions. We're going to have our um, inimitable Avgeek quiz hosted by the man himself, Thomas Boone. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a great couple of days. We're really excited. We've, we've managed to announce some of our confirmed speakers, and this isn't an mm. exhaustive list at all, but I'm really excited to speak to some of these guys. We've got David Neeleman, who, of course, is CEO of Breeze Airways, but also, you know, of JetBlue fame and Azul and Tap Portugal. So lots to talk to him about. Um, to Waldi Gebramariam, who is uh, Group CEO of Ethiopian Airlines. Tom's best friend, Martin Gauss, CEO of Air Baltic. <laughs> um, and Tom we've... himself. <laughs> and Tom himself. Um, uh, we've got Vinod Kanan, who is the Chief Operating Officer and soon-to-be CEO of Vistara. Lots to mm. talk to him about, obviously, with everything that's going on in India. Um, and many more. We've, we've got John Sharp from Rex. We've got Bjorn Tor Larsen from North Atlantic. We've got Rob McKinney from excuse me, from Startup Northern Pacific. <laughs> Just got rather overexcited then and nearly killed myself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do check it out. It's uh, futureflyingforum.com. We've now got the uh, sort of skeleton agenda on there um, and there'll be lots more information added to it as we go on. Um, we'd love to see you there. But I think that's all we've got time for today. So we hope you enjoyed it and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.